Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and it is Friday, so you know what that means. Nora is back on the show, and Nora, I don't want to bury the lead. You do have artwork behind you. I'm very excited about this. Great to see it. Did I or did I not log on to this this Zoom, this Riverside recording, I should say, give proper credit to our our, our tech platforms, and watch you and our wonderful producers here just like erupt in mm. a mix of of joy and distress because you had placed <laughs> bets on me and you lost yes. because you had no yes. faith in me. You had no faith I, in me to get this done, to decorate this office. This felt like a New Year type of move uh, based on what I was hearing from my inside sources. I thought that you would not have this poster up. I was hammering it hard that it would be a blank background and there is no blank space. There is actual artwork and uh, shout out to our producer, Tucker. He had way more faith in you than I did. Yeah, Tucker so, uh, believes in me. Tucker is the yeah. only one who believes in me. Not hey, you. It, Here's what you didn't good. know. We're having what? a holiday party this weekend. Oh, see? So Alter we had a motives. motivator. It, yeah, if that right. hadn't been the case, I might have the the <laughs> the New Year thing. But you knew I got it framed. You knew I was getting it framed. You knew things right. were in motion. So I don't. But I there's think also you this sometimes people. People will tell you things like that are in motion. You know they're not in motion. But I, I, I should have, I should have had more faith. I'm going to take that on the chin, and I'm going to apologize. But now I'm also going to have to back that up with another apology because you know what I got to do. I got to talk about the power rankings, and um, I'm upset. I'm, I'm looking at number five on the power rankings list, and there sits the seven and six Buffalo Bills. Um, for anyone that has not seen the Riggers power rankings, first, we got the 49ers. We got the Cowboys at number two, the Ravens at three, the Eagles at four, and then back to the Buffalo Bills. Are you okay with them at number five, Nora? Are they really number five in the NFL right now? Are we buying the hype? Who's Who has been wronged by this? Do you think the, <laughs> I, have the I don't know Jaguars who's most aggrieved. I don't know. Maybe the Dolphins could be the most wronged. Uh, I, I mean, here. the Dolphins. Here's the thing about the Dolphins. The Dolphins are really banged up. And the Dolphins, they might they have a case. You know, look, they're probably going to win the division that the Bills are in. And, and I can hear that. But the Dolphins have a good defense, have a better defense. But I, I just, the Dolphins, with how hurt they are and with how Tua looks when Tyreek Hill is, is either hurt or not on the field, I don't know. I don't mind it. Um, I, I hear the case, but I think I'm not upset about it. I think it can go either way. I will say the case is that I don't have a team that I would slot in there at number five. Like, I'm not arguing. Like, you know, early in the season, I was arguing. I was screaming at the clouds about the Baltimore Ravens. I don't have that argument to make anymore. And I also agree with the number one team. It is the 49ers. I think we've all kind of, you know, as you add up the stats and, you know, you look at EPA and all these different things, DVOA, whatever analytic that you love, you see the 49ers there and they're doing pretty well. Um, how do we feel about them kind of as the favorite heading into the the stretch run of the season? Great. Um, I mean, I think, look, so here's, <laughs> yes. here's what's really going on here is that the league is kind of a mess. There's, there are three, I would say, really balanced, scary teams. And those are the 49ers, the Cowboys and the Ravens, which happen to be the top three of the power rankings. And then, I mean, the team that we haven't mentioned here so far that is probably the one that has the, the best case for being pissed off here is the Chiefs, which is just sort of a, a Lifetime Achievement Award thing mm-hmm. that how how dare we have the Buffalo Bills at <laughs> seven and six ahead of the, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterbacks. Well, they just beat Mahomes. the Chiefs, so at least but we have a head-to-head. Head head to, yeah, right. And 
once you get past that top three, things get really murky. I mean, mm. you're going to tell me that the the Eagles defense right now is really trustworthy. You're going to tell me that the Chiefs are really being wronged by being out sort of the top outside of the top five when the receivers are so bad that they don't even know where to stand on the field. I mean, I, I just think what we have to acknowledge here is that, yeah, we talk about the top five because it's it's five. But there is a top three in the NFL that matters. And then after that, the teams get really messy and really murky really fast. Mm. And one of those teams that is messy and murky is the Philadelphia Eagles. And I like the question that we have here on the power rankings. Is it time to panic in Philly? Like, I mean, do do we actually worry about this team and what their postseason looks like uh, just based on the defense right now alone? Yeah, I worry about them. I really do worry about them, especially if they can't. What they have to do, I think, for the last month of the season is find a pass rush, find some way to pressure the quarterback because Mm. they can't change who they're lining up in the secondary at safety at linebacker. They can't change the back half of their defense. Those were decisions that were made in the off season. Some of that is just injuries. Some of that is, is older players losing a step and that's baked into the cake at this point. That pass Mm. rush should be way better than it is. That is a pass rush that had 70 sacks last year. And they lost Javon Hargrave, but they drafted the two Georgia defenders and absolutely should have replaced that production or at least had something somewhat similar to it. They're still getting a a good season out of Hassan Reddick, and yet they cannot sack the quarterback. They cannot get pressure. And they have to find a way to do that down the stretch for the last month of the season and going into the playoffs, because that's the only thing that's going to give the back half a little bit of support. And that's the thing that they should be able to do. Um, Mm. So I like them maybe getting back on track a little bit against Seattle because Seattle's offensive line is so banged up, but the Eagles, I mean, they've got a, I, I just don't see this defense as it's currently playing, making it through a stretch of the playoffs and uh, they seem really vulnerable to me. Yeah, and I'd watch out for that Seattle game because Lumen Field is always going to be loud, and playing in Seattle is always going to be difficult. And uh, I, I just think even in that game, it's not a sure thing for the Philadelphia Eagles, even though most people suspect they'll lock up that division. Let's talk about some of the big games of the week in NFL Week 15 uh, preview, if you must. We got the Cowboys taking on the Bills. Bills minus one and a half in this game. We got the number two power rankings, uh, you know, saying the number two seed there with the Cowboys taking on the number five seed, the Buffalo Bills. How do we see this game playing out? And do we think the Cowboys can go up to Buffalo and get a big win? I think any, I I hate predicting this game. I got to tell you, it is. (laughs) You don't have to predict it. Maybe maybe we just like uh, float around and you say what could happen. You know, maybe this might happen. Maybe that happens. Here's how I feel. If this game is a blowout, the Cowboys are winning. Mm-hmm. But it it could really, I mean, the line's close. The Bills just have a way to make games weird. They haven't, when they lose, they lose close games, um, which I guess would make it seem like it shouldn't be a Cowboys blowout. But I, I do think that there's just more firepower in that Dallas team. But Josh Allen, when he's on, can hang with absolutely any offense in the league. And I, I just... I I trust that the Bills are really, really motivated, even though they actually don't have to win this game um, to have a pretty good shot at the playoffs. If they win their last three, which I think is Chargers, Patriots, Jets, they probably will get in. 
but still everyone really counts in Buffalo right now. And it should be, I hope it's competitive. Um, but I don't, this is a, this is a game that I don't have a feel for because I just think especially Buffalo has is such weird tendencies. Yeah. If I know anything about the Cowboys, I think they go up there. It is very cold. They do not look like they want to play in the cold. The Buffalo Bills get a much needed win. And then we all say, are we sure Dallas is as good as we thought they are? Uh, what do we think about Dak Press? You know what I mean? We know how these things typically work out. I think Buffalo will handle business there. Um, so there you go. I made a prediction for you, Nora. I, I covered it. your bases there. But I, <laughs> we'll do our best. We'll tag team it. Uh, the next game, we got our Baltimore Ravens taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, right now, Ravens minus three and a half in this game. Um, can the Ravens hold on to that number one seed in the AFC? Yeah, I think I think they can. I think they're the most they're the most complete team. That 49ers game is going to be fascinating. Yes. But if they win three out of four, there, even they could drop that game to the 49ers and, and still be in good position for that top seed. I think. I like them against the Jags um, just with the Christian Kirk injury. I think the Jags receiver group is, is out of sync. And we saw that last week. I also think that Trevor Lawrence is, is maybe a little bit more affected by that injury still than we realize because he did have some problems last week, overthrowing passes. Um, I think that was a problem with two of his interceptions. Uh, They were, they were on overthrows and that's often a sign that a quarterback who has an ankle injury is being affected by it because if he doesn't want to plant off in the ball sails. And, and so I wonder, I mean, obviously it's been some, it's been a week since then and he could be in a better spot, but I still think the injury is affecting him. And I think without Kirk, they're still figuring things out. I love the Ravens. Uh, I think the Jags are good, but I, I would trust them more in the spot. Yeah, it's going to be tough, though, uh, with the Steelers in that last game. It's a rivalry game, but who knows if they're playing guys or not. They might have the number one seed locked up. So that'll be interesting. The Steelers Steelers might be playing Mason Rudolph. Like, the Steelers aren't. (laughs) The Ravens can take care of the Steelers, or they're not who I think they are. There you go. And they're not who I think they are either. So uh, so come on, Baltimore. Figure it out. Uh, next one, Nora. Broncos at Lions. Broncos, six of the last seven they have won. The Lions have lost two of their last three. Um, this is a game of two teams kind of trending in different directions right now. Do we think the Lions get it together? They're minus four in this game at home. You know, I think the Lions, I think the Lions might get it together a little bit for this game. Just because I think that defense's struggles show up in the worst ways against mobile quarterbacks. And despite the sort of name name brand element of it, that's not really Russell Wilson anymore. So I think they might be a little bit more stout this week than they were, especially against the bears. But I still think that defense has really serious issues that are going to hold them back, trying to make any sort of serious playoff push. I just think that this probably isn't the week that's going to hurt them the most. The other thing is they're at home. Jared Goff is more comfortable playing there. Um, And so hopefully for the Lions, it's a week where they can kind of get back on track. I'm really impressed by how the Broncos have saved their season and, and pulled things together. But I'm not sure I quite buy this as one of the best defenses in football. So I wonder if things might come back down to earth a little bit for both teams, which would favor Detroit, even though I still think they have big problems, big picture. 
Yeah, and that Broncos defense, I mean, people forget they gave up 70 points to Tua and the Dolphins. And then, you know, Justin Herbert doesn't even score a touchdown against these guys. Um, so, like, there has been a drastic change on the defensive side of the football for the Denver Broncos. We have six teams right now, Nora, in the AFC that are currently 7-6. and six. They're all in the hunt to make the playoffs. Another game that will have implications on that playoff race. We have the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Colts. Colts minus one and a half in this one. Um, who do we like in this game? And do we think, like, uh, of these two teams, which one do you like as a sure thing to make the playoffs, the Colts or the Steelers? I like, so I like the Colts. Uh, I just think I like they it. can move the ball. The Steelers really, really struggle offensively no matter who's playing quarterback. And then the other thing is that they're the the defense is getting really banged up in Pittsburgh. They, they went through that whole thing. Um, with Watt with the concussion last week. Alex Highsmith has also been dealing with an injury. Not sure if he's even going to play. And then, you know, Indianapolis, the defense isn't isn't great, but I do think that they can move the ball. They can score points. I, I just think that they are going to stay in the hunt and get themselves to the playoffs and are much more trustworthy to do that than than Pittsburgh, who seems to be getting injured, trending down, and also just doesn't have the same type of offensive abilities. Yeah, shout out to Gardner Minshew. Minshew Mania is back again. Um, some people said it never left. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Tommy DeVito and the Italian stallion of sports agents. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're still here with Nora, and we're talking NFL storylines. And if you haven't kept up with the New York Giants, you need to get up to speed because we are talking about New York's favorite native son right now. He, of course, is quarterback QB1, Tommy DeVito. Um, Do we think Tommy DeVito stays QB1 for the New York Giants? Has he endeared himself this much to the people of New York City? You're there in New York, Nora, so you know how it feels. Um, Are people falling in love with Tommy DeVito? I mean, they totally are. And I'm glad that you're calling him Tommy DeVito because for as good of a nickname as Tommy Cutlets is, I, I just, Tommy DeVito does not need a nickname. He's Tommy, Tommy DeVito, DeVito. sounds like a nickname. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it's too good. We can't, like, I really, I, I love a nickname in general, but I really am not on the Tommy DeVito nickname train because I don't want to stop saying Tommy DeVito. Um, are they falling in love with him? Absolutely. It is such a fun story how this Giants team has become like fun to watch and heartwarming and interesting is really impressive (laughs) if you think about how bad they are at at the actual football part of it. Uh, Here's where I think it sort of maxes out. I think there is a situation, there's a world next training camp where all of those beat writers are out there near the Meadowlands, actually practice at a slightly different facility, but it's, it's near MetLife. They're out there and they're, they're charting. How many snaps does Daniel Jones take with the ones? How many snaps does Tommy DeVito take with the ones? I can mm-hmm. see the tweets. Daniel Jones was seven for 10 with a touchdown and a pick against the starting defense at training camp practice this, uh, today in New Jersey. Tommy DeVito, blah, 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 blah. I can see that happening so easily. Do I think that Tommy DeVito is anything other than 
this year's accidental starter. No, not really. But it's a fun story. And I do think that it could it could become a little bit of a training camp storyline. Is there any chance that we start getting reports floated that the Giants are looking for teams interested in Daniel Jones? And, and if that is the case, and let's say they do want to get off of Daniel Jones's contract, is there anyone else in the league that would ever saddle up to pay him that enormous contract that they guaranteed him this summer? Like, so is prob- it untradeable? <laughs> probably not the whole thing. I, I just don't think the Giants have the leverage if they were trying to move him. I don't think that they would have the leverage to get a team to take all of that money on. But they can, you know, you can split the bill, right? And mm-hmm. and if I were the Atlanta Falcons, say a team that's not really interested in traditional quarterbacking, but is very interested in a guy who has the athleticism to run a sort of option style offense and, and run that game, I, I would absolutely see what it would take to get Daniel Jones there. I, I really think that there are going to be teams that would be interested. It's just about the structure of, of what a deal would look like, how much the giants would have to swallow in terms of the contract. That's definitely going to be something. And they made their bed with that. They should have used the franchise tag, but they could work a a trade for him. Yeah. Well, the other guy they didn't pay because they paid Danny dimes was obviously Saquon Barkley. Um, That's the larger question. Saquon said they're trying to make the playoffs. Uh, He says he still believes that they can make the playoffs. That might be a little far fetched, but some New York giants people believe that is the case. Is Saquon a giant next season? He's on a one year deal right now for $11 million. Yeah. It feels like no. It feels feels like no. It It looks like like this is the end. Yeah. And especially because Look, we don't know if the same people are going to be in charge of of the Giants organization next offseason as are right now. But either way, the regime that brought Saquon Barkley onto that team is not going to be there anymore. And I think there is some degree of sentiment, just what he's meant to that franchise, that went into how they handled his deal and the tag and that whole situation over the summer. Not that it worked out perfectly, obviously, because they had issues with the player. He got upset. And then I think you tie that decision in with the Jones contract, because obviously you could only use the tag on one of them. Um, But I think it's, you know, he's just, he's not the guy that he was. Seems like everybody could use a fresh start. So I would lean no. Yeah, and if he does get a fresh start, where would that be? I mean, we talked about Daniel Jones maybe going to somewhere like Atlanta that loves time of possession. Um, Is there a team, like if we're playing matchmaker here, like where does Saquon Barkley fit? You know what I mean? Is it somewhere like the Pittsburgh Steelers? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Where where does he kind of fall into uh, a spot where he can kind of be the best version of himself? Yeah, I mean, it's going to depend on how much money he wants and how much money it seems like the market is going to bear for him. I do think that he would be best suited going to a sort of old school offense that cares about the running back position um, more than than some other teams do. But one thing that would interest me would be the Chargers potentially, just because I think, you know, obviously they're going to be in a different place next year. We don't know who the coach is going to be, but it seems like it's probably not going to still be Staley. So there's there are changes coming for the Chargers. But I hope they stick with Kellen Moore running the offense. I, I think obviously things have not gone well, but I think a lot of that has to do with personnel. And I do think that he has good ideas for that offense. 
one of the major challenges is that he wants a downhill north-south run game element. And they came out in week one and made it happen against the Dolphins. And then it just went away and it never came back again. And Mm. again, it just depends on the money because that's a team that's been reluctant to invest at that position. But I I can see someone like him who helps in the blocking game, who's really physical and is just like a, a full steam ahead downhill runner being a good fit for what Kellen Moore wants to do there. And it would help Eckler. I mean, if that works out where they can get both of those guys, Eckler is, and he's having to be an every down back, but I mean, there's some times where you can just see that he's exhausted out there and he's taking a lot of hits for this team and Kelly coming in behind him. Josh Kelly has not been the answer, like the thunder and lightning they were hoping it would be. So I think that would be a good fit. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Nora. Cam Newton said um, that there are a bunch of quarterbacks in the league right now that are game managers and not game changers. Um, He also clarified to say that game managers can make game-changing plays, but that does not make them game-changers. Um, <laughs> yeah. As we someone need, who like, loves Miriam Cam Webster Newton, in here. Like, oh, I, I, I love the connotations of Cam Newton. I, I, I enjoy it so much and I miss it so much. Um, what do we think about that? And do we think as Brock Purdy and do we think of, you know, Dak Prescott as game managers more so than game changers? Is that a reality? And they're the two favorites for MVP right now. So here's, here's how I think about it loosely because obviously it, Sometimes the labels are not helpful because just every situation is different and and quarterbacks are individuals. I think the most helpful way to think about that type of conversation is which quarterbacks change the spacing of a defense on the field lining up against them and which ones don't. So like Lamar is a great example because Lamar changes the spacing of a defense. Lamar is going Mm -hmm. to influence just by being on the field He's going to influence box count. He's going to influence where the players on the defensive side of the field are lining up, how far back they are, how close they are to the line of scrimmage. And that is going to have a spy on him at all times. Right. Like there's just like he you have to account for him at all times. Right. Then there are other offenses like I would I would say San Francisco very much falls into this category. Uh, Miami falls into this category where it's the skill position players who are changing the angles and the spacing and how the defense is lining up. And it's still really good. Doesn't mean it's bad. You're still changing how you have to be defended in a way that creates space, creates big plays. But you know that that's happening because of Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, or you know that's happening because of Tyree Kill. I mean, I think we saw in that Monday night game a really, really good, clear example of how when Tyree goes off the field in Miami, everything shrinks, and then it's harder, especially in the red zone, for Tua to take advantage of. And I think Dak has gotten better, by the way. I mean, I think that's the other part. A lot of people, when they talk about Dak, I feel like they're talking about Dak from two, three years ago. I do think he has evolved as a quarterback, and that's another part of the equation that's not kind of factored in when we talk about him. He's found his legs again, Mm -hmm. which I think... I think it's... I think we all underestimated, or I should just speak for myself. I think I underestimated how long it would take coming back from that horrible injury for him to really trust his ability to to run around. And that's starting to really sneak back into his game. And it's funny because that's the type of thing that I think changes the discussion around a quarterback from 
game manager to playmaker to whatever. So maybe we'll have to check back with Cam uh, in a little <laughs> bit if he sees Dak running right. around out there more and more and more. Maybe he'll change his mind there. But I think, again, I don't think it's the most useful term, but if if it's game manager, parentheses, derogatory, I, I argue that Dak should be removed from, from that categorization. And Tom Brady was called a game manager for a decade. So uh, it, it's not the worst thing to be called when you win football games. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Bill Belichick and the future of the New England Patriots. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're here with Nora, and uh, every week Nora comes on the show. I throw her some stories that are happening both in the world of pop culture, in the world of the NFL, and she does her best to make sense of it as we uh, we both sit here and say, wait, what is happening? Um, this week there were reports that came out that it is officially the end of the Bill Belichick era in New England. Then there were reports that came out that said, wait, just kidding. Uh, that was just a report. And now everyone is sort of in this um, weird, uh, lame duck grace period of when do we talk about the end of Bill Belichick? So let's start there, Nora. Where are we? Is it actually the end of Bill Belichick or are these just reports at this point? I mean, so look, at the end of the season, we will be at the end. I I feel pretty confident about that. There's no reason for the Patriots to move on from Bill Belichick in season. They are completely incentivized to play this out until the end of the year and see if a team approaches them with a trade offer. For Belichick, if they if there's a team that wants him to be their next head coach, maybe somebody else gets fired. Another team knows that that they've got an opening coming up. Every incentive for the Patriots is to leave as much time for that to happen as possible. So I I don't think anything's happening between now and the end of the season. I also think that's a that's a respect thing. It's just messier to fire a coach in season. Um, But I do think that I, I think it's coming. We're just, we're going to wait for Black Monday for that to happen. It feels like, what, two months ago, maybe? I remember the headlines that Bill Belichick actually signed a lucrative multi-year deal in the offseason. And I remember those reports coming out, and it was basically like, you thought you knew that this was the end, but really it's not. Bill Belichick's locked in more than ever. Like, what? where is that? Was was that true? What did we talk about then? (laughs) Multi-year can mean two years. And NFL yes. coaches are almost never lame ducks. If if a coach has any leverage at all, and Bill Belichick certainly has more than most, you're never going to go into the final season of your contract if a team is thinking about you as, as part of their future, which obviously at the beginning of the season, the Patriots were. So my understanding is that that multi-year contract referred to this season, the 2023 season, and the 2024 season. So... Are the crafts probably going to be on the hook for some money for Bill Belichick next year? Yeah, I think so. But they can afford it. And and it's really not that big of a deal. And it never was because multi-year, I mean, never forget Tom Brady signed a multi-year contract extension. Yeah, we've seen in this New before. England the year before he left. And it was all void years and just contractual mumbo jumbo. And it just it was designed to give people the wrong impression. 
Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's what people have to point to because I had a lot of New England people in my life sending me, he signed a multi-year deal. It can't be the end of Bill Belichick. This is all false reporting, yada, yada, yada. But you explain why there is uh, something to read between the lines there. One last thing on Belichick. Did you see him at the Army-Navy game? And what do you think about his you know, TV career um, being the next Lee Corso? Because there's some people pointing that out as well. You know, I, I wonder if he would want to. <laughs> but when, when, he, when Belichick to like wants to be good, Talking about football, he's excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he would. I think he would actually surprise a lot of people. I would like. I would like to see it. I would like to see Bill Belichick. Uh, you know, share some of those LT stories. Share some of his time with Bill Parcells. You know, have a little bit of fun, Bill Belichick. That's what we all want. Speaking of fun, Nora, where can we find all your fun, amazing work here at the Ringer? And uh, then we'll let you go enjoy your Friday. Theringer.com. If you have every single album podcast. Dual threat on the Ringer NFL show feed. Boom. Look at that. And you got artwork behind you. So shout out to you. You're the big winner this week. We love to see it. We got a a UFC 296 preview with Chuck Mindenhall coming up right now. We're going to take a break and then we'll come up with Chuck Mindenhall. We'll see you then. Thanks, Tate. All right, welcome back to Through the Ringer. I am still here. I'm still your host, Tate Frazier. And joining us now, we got a big UFC weekend. You know his name, Chuck Mendenhall. Good to have you back on the show, man. Tate, you know it's a big fight when I get this call. Right. I love when you get this call. I love when our producers say we got to have Chuck on the show because we got to talk about what's happening in UFC. And then I scramble to get myself together so I can have a a semi-informed conversation. But to, to get everybody else up to speed, We got a big UFC 296 in Las Vegas this weekend. And let's start with the main card of Leon Edwards and the character himself, Colby, Colby, Colby Covington. Oh, my goodness. Uh, He's going to be upset. Maybe that's the thing I do, Chuck. I mispronounce his name, Uh, but he loves the headlines. He loves (laughs) the conversation. You love to poke the bear. I like it. All right, let's let's poke the bear and uh, let's start there. What do you think about this main card? Well, the main, as far as this fight, it's been a, it's been a little bit controversial leading up, and I think it's more for people in the bubble, you know, the diehard fans who are like, "How does this guy deserve a title fight?" Meaning Colby Covington, he's fought since December of 2019. He's fought four times, and he's two and two in those four fights. Two, the two wins came against guys who are really on the decline. I mean, coming off a of long uh, losing streaks. It was Jorge Masvidal and Tyrone Woodley. He, he, he was able to win those fights, but the two that were the title fights, he loses. So doing the math on it, you know, we're like, this isn't exactly a meritocracy type of fight. This is a guy that the UFC likes. He's a guy who's a little bit more of a box office hit given the options. And therefore, he has found himself in this role. And they knew that he would uh, do what he's doing, essentially, which is a ruffle the feathers and get in there and uh, and draw some heat to the fight and all that stuff. So if you look at it that way, it's like, it doesn't make complete sense, but it's the fight that I think the U. It was probably the best option for the UFC at this time. Um, so it's it's a it's a fun fight in that sense, and I think that, that, that since they're polar opposite personalities, I know that we were mentioning just before we started going that you know Colby brings in such weird manufactured heat and so many weird storylines like just the 1776 thing that you were talking about and uh, all the all this sort of. Um, you know, extracurricular stuff, it always adds a little more dimension to the fight. So it should be a fun one. 
Yeah, I have a quote right here from Colby. He said, quote, it's just going to be another 1776. That means the British don't come to America. If you come to America, you're going to go home empty handed. Um, And of course, Leon Edwards is a a proud representative of the UK. So he has compared this fight to 1776, the American Revolution. Um, Talk about hyperbole. I mean, is that really just what it comes down to, Colby Covington? Always. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, Tady is not a history buff. That's just uh, I'm, I'm guessing he Wikipedia that right before he went on the, to do that. But he he does this, man. He usually has cute little names for uh, each of the guys he fights. It's a troll tactic that I think has kind of backfired. You know, he was I, I don't know how much I know that like you kind of dip your toe into the game, but like he was a big MAGA supporter. I know President Trump when he was the president was, uh, you know, constantly rooting for him. I think that, he, you know, he's rooting for him in this case. You know, it's like there's all these crazy associations and he just he likes to troll. And so this is just par for the course. I think that in a fight like this, the interest comes from Leon Edwards shutting him up, just shutting him up, because honestly, I think that there's a big chance if Colby loses this fight, given where he's at pay structure and kind of what he's looking for in the fight game. If he doesn't have a route to a title fight and he loses, uh, I think there's a real possibility this could be his last fight, you know, so um, I think there's a big fan base that's like yeah leon let's do this let's push him out the fight game yeah leon right now is a minus 178 to win this fight you can get covington at plus 138 leon edwards how does he win this fight like how does he shut him up like what is the tactical way that he kind of yeah. you know easily cruises to a victory i'll tell you what like when leon fought kamara uzman uh the last couple of fights who is very similar you know i i know that leon doesn't see it that way but they are similar in terms of their wrestling centric uh, attacks, right? Like pressure, wrestling centric. And he was able to handle it better and better each time. Like he was, he came back, he won that head kick late, uh, fifth round to win the title in Salt Lake city, but then he backed it up. And what he did was his, his defensive wrestling got better. His striking was way more efficient. I think I'd look this up. He'd thrown 44 less strikes and yet landed 33 more strikes than Usman. So in other words, what he's doing is like something like 77 or 75% of his strikes with a pressure guy like Colby, who's going to come in. I think he's going to have to press the action a little bit. That's when he opens himself up for that, that, uh, that return fire. And I really can see a scenario just given Leon's length and just his sniper ability where he just attacks, you know, counterattacks on those, on those pressure moments catches him and hurts him and then kind of operates off of that. That's, I think that that's his thing. He's a very smart, very rangy, very strong fighter, uh, Leon. And Colby is more of a pressure. Like he loves to throw volume. I'm not sure he'll be able to do that when he's getting pieced up on the feet. So Leon's route to victory is really just to control that and make sure that the fight is, is kept standing. Like he's going to have to use his uh, defensive wrestling, keep the fight standing and keep it in his world. And Covington has actually fought Usman and lost, so there's something to, to yeah. take in there because we've seen you know Edwards beat you know Usman back to back times now. Right at this point, um, if you had to bet this fight, is it worth taking the upside and the value of Covington and just the idea that maybe he gets some some strength from out of nowhere and gets a win, or do you just take the the sure thing here? Well. I think that you're, I think that you're kind of like, you'd be squinting and like kind of doing some hopeful things, but it's funny because with Colby Covington, we just had an example of a guy in this exact same situation. I think we even talked about this fight. It was Sean Strickland against Israel Adesanya. Nobody gave Sean Strickland any chance. And Strickland is a guy in a similar ilk, I would say to Colby and that he's a pressure guy. He's a, he's kind of like, he tries to be a precise striker. He kind of waits for his moments in that way. Um, And he pulled it off. 
Now, does that mean mm. it can happen again? I feel like if anything, you're looking at the abstract, right? This year we've had so many weird champions emerge. This it would be it wouldn't even seem like an upset for Colby to win and be of course Colby won. That's the way this year has gone. But if you're using that's that's just kind of like looking at it through a certain lens. If you just really look at it from a diehard um perspective with some real analysis, this should be Leon's fight. I think you're actually getting pretty good value at whatever you it was at minus one yeah minus 178 yeah that's so really not, not that, that bad especially if you're parlaying right. that with something i think that that's actually a pretty good line for him because it feels to me like he could be easily like a minus 250 in this fight do we think we see trump on the sidelines is he gonna come in and like put the belt <laughs> on colby like is that is that something that's possible this weekend I oh i think it is possible well. because i mean My you've goodness. seen the alliance with uh with dana white and uh and trump and i mean they rolled out in new york city last month it was him kid rock Tucker Carls. I was like, all these guys showed up together, you know, like this posse to take their ringside seat. So Colby says that if he wins, Trump will be the guy wrapping it around his waist. And I, I know that Trump and Dana are tight, so I could fully see this happening if that's the scenario. Oh, my God. It's like the opposite of the Rat Pack right there. Um, let's talk about the next one. We got... Uh, Fan favorite, Patty the Batty, uh, taking on an, uh, you know, a UFC legend in Tony Ferguson. Right now, you can get Patty at minus 330. Tony Ferguson sitting there at plus 240. Um, who do you like in this fight? And should we be excited to kind of see the old guard taking on the new guard? It's a tough one. And I think when they made this fight, it was kind of strange in the sense that you don't usually, this is a, a traditional um, structure that the UFC does for matchmaking. They don't usually put a guy on a hot streak, which would be Patty Pimblett. I think whatever he's won in a row, uh, four, I think four and zero in the UFC versus a guy on a six fight losing streak. Mm-hmm. And that's where Tony Ferguson finds himself. I think that it's, it's more than anything for Tony Ferguson. It was like, where, what are they going to do with him? What are they going to do with a guy like this? Well, we can feed him or if you want to use a different word, but like you can feed him to a guy who's a young contender who's coming up, you know, who doesn't represent the greatest danger to him. Uh, and we can, we can make this fight. And I think that's kind of how they did it. Because Tony Ferguson has entered that part of his career where you watch through your fingers a little bit. Like he's been getting beat up. And if you're a fan of his and he had that crazy streak where he won a ton of fights over over the course of like four years in a row. They were trying to make the Habib fight. It never happened. He was a he's a fan favorite and he still has a lot of that juice. And I think that when they looked at it, they're like, well, where can we put where can we put Ferguson where somebody benefits off of the rest of whatever he's got, whatever he offers in that brand name? And that's where Patty comes in. And I think that that's kind of the matchup. Um, if Ferguson wins, that place is going to go crazy. I'm telling you this because Pimblett has been a little bit of a polarizing figure too. As much as the UFC loves him, and as much as uh, England loves him and stuff like that, like he's he's a polarizing figure who's um, I think some people root against for that reason. So it's going to go crazy. But I think the line is correct. And if you watch yeah. Tony, if you watch Tony Ferguson in his last couple of fights, just doesn't have the movement anymore. Man, he's getting up there in age. He's taking a lot of damage. I just don't see him. I don't see him winning this fight, man. I just see him getting pieced apart and probably finished in the first round. That's uh, you know when I'm looking at it, if I, whatever that prop is is probably the one I'm looking at. Patty in the first round. Oh wow! So do you think this is so? I was going to ask if this is Patty's biggest test so far in the UFC, but you sound, it sounds like it might not even be that much of a test if things. Go I think how it you could suspect. be though. You know, it's okay. it's it's interesting because I I think that though Ferguson's clearly on the decline. Um, you know, he's hungry. He wants to break this thing. He wants to continue his career. I think you're going to see his best possible effort. I think he really took it serious. Um, 
And if you look at the type of competition Patty has beat, including, I think, Jordan Levitt and there was uh, Jared Gordon in the last fight, which I think some people think he lost. A lot of people thought he lost that fight. Yeah, this mm. is still, even with all of that, this is still an escalation. So this the, the, this does become the toughest uh, fight for Patty's career. I just think he'll be up for it. And it's actually kind of designed for him to win. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, the, I think it's yeah, set up for him. <laughs> right. It sounds good when you beat someone like Tony Ferguson, right? Yes, it's like, exactly. Uh, okay, now, yeah. now you catapult yourself into a different stratosphere as far as stardom. Do we think that he can get into that that stratosphere and actually be a UFC star? Is that sort of the point, like you said, of setting up this fight and trying to trying to push him as much as you can to the forefront? I think so because there's a lot of reasons. The last fight where he he's I mean, just barely scrapes by. Like he gets a decision. Everybody's mad about it because they think that uh, Gordon had won the fight. How he handled it in the aftermath, it just was a bad look. He goes into this situation, and you got Tony Ferguson. It's a, it's kind of a no-win situation because Tony Ferguson being a fan favorite, he beats him, right? Like, how does he handle the microphone? How does he handle this? It's going to be very interesting to see. But I think he benefits because there was a guy named Ian Gary who was supposed to be on the card, and he was a, another firebrand who kind of put Patty to the side. Like, he was almost overshadowing him because of his own uh, things kind of flaring up. He was just He just fell out of the fight. Um, this week, so he he's not happening. I think it could set up nicely for Patty if he goes in there, takes care of business, handles himself right. I think he then benefits from all of that, and he gets a better look. You know what I mean? And people kind of see him in a different light. This would be a big chance for him to take that superstardom leap and maybe do something, um, or to embrace maybe if if he's really getting booed and all of that stuff. Like however it's going to work, to at least embrace that side of it, right? Like in pro wrestling, embrace the heel. Mm, yeah, Colby Covington is going to be very upset if he sees Patty win this fight. <laughs> it will be the opposite of 1776. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more UFC 296 with Chuck. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're still here with Chuck Mendenhall, and we're talking UFC 296. One more fight we would like to break break down is the latest undefeated fighter in the ilk of Habib. Um, Shavkat uh, is the name, and that is all you need to know. One name. It's like Madonna. <laughs> it's like Prince, whatever it is. What, what do we know about him, and, and what do we expect to see this weekend at UFC 296? What's great about Shavkat is it's, the, it's what we don't know. I mean, he's like one of these crazy figures I always kind of compare him like, you know, like when you think about samurais or the way we used to look at like warriors back in the day, he's kind of like yeah. a modern day warrior. He doesn't speak English. He wears like dead animals on his head as he walks out. He's just, he's a crazy guy. 17 fights, 17 finishes. He's everything that you kind of want. Keeps his air of mystery. He's not going to go on social media. You know what I mean? Like he's going to, he's going to have that, that sort of thing. Um, it's a crazy, it's a crazy setup for him because I think that in the welterweight division, we have the welterweight title fight at the top of the card with Leon and Colby. And this one I think serves as like, it, can Shavkai get through and punch his ticket to be that guy, to be the guy in the wings. And honestly, man, like I'm telling you right now, that's the guy that we've, a lot of us in the media and a lot of people who paid attention, we've had him circled as a champion coming up. Like he's just been that good. So I think this becomes a huge showcase event for him. I hate to dismiss a guy like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's been around the game forever, but at 40, at 40 years old and just kind of where he's at in his career, this is a tough, tough matchup for him. So I, I think that this is just more of a showcase fight 
for Shavkat to go in there and be like, hey, if you didn't know, now you know. Yeah, Shavkat, uh, as you mentioned, 17 fights in there, either ended eight by knockout and nine <laughs> by submission. So yeah. the guy is uh, not to be played with. And Stephen Thompson, as great as he has been, he is 40 years old. And if you look at the odds right now, Thompson is a plus 450, and you can get uh, Shavkat at minus 720. So you talk about heavy favorites. It looks like Vegas knows something about our guy from Kazakhstan. They do, and they should. And it's, it's kind of crazy because... Even at 40 years old, I mean, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson was kind of one of the exemplars in terms of like, you know, this blading karate style, using his legs almost like jabs, just doing all this stuff. I'm just not sure how it will work. I think he would have to catch Shavkat, you know, you'd have to catch him with something and it would have to be one of those type of situations. I just can't, I can't picture a scenario where he outpoints him, like where if it goes to a decision, I cannot see a scenario where that happens. It's just going to be one of those type of fights. I will say that if anything, Shavkat has looked dominant and invincible, but in his last fight with Jeff Neal, he did get hit a couple of times. He got hit a couple of times, and I think some people were like, well, we finally found something that you can point to that's a vulnerability. Maybe he wanders into punches a little bit, but the crazy thing about that is he handled those punches. He just ate them and then reestablished <laughs> dominance and just kind of you know made the, like made him dance to his beat the rest of the fight. So if anything, it just showed a deeper wrinkle that he also has a chin to go along with all of these other elements that he brings to the table. Like you mentioned, it's even distribution between submissions and knockouts, essentially. The guy can do it any way he wants. He can take you down, yeah. he can stand with you, he can put you in the clinch, he can put you anywhere. So it's going to be a rough night for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, man. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think it's going to go to the points. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, no. I don't think it's going to end uh, as it always has, uh, you know, with him. So that's going to be fascinating. Are there any other lines, uh, either from the main card or prelims, that you have your eye on uh, during UFC 296 this week? You know, man, there's a couple of them, actually. One of them is uh, Bryce Mitchell is stepping in on sh- relatively short notice to take on uh, Josh Emmett, who was a former um, contender just as of last year. But he's lost a couple in a row. Josh Emmett, 38 years old. One of of those fights he lost was to Yair Rodriguez who got a submission and I just I keep looking at this line that's plus 350 for a submission for Bryce Mitchell Bryce has only one submission but he's a he's a submission machine like he's from Arkansas this this very strange outspoken kid um, who tries submission attempts like you know just like uh, it feels like a thousand every fight like he's just that's what he's going for I could see a scenario where this happens I feel like that plus 350 is just too tempting I think Bryce Mitchell mm gets that done. I think he gets, he's going to win that fight by submission. I think that Emmett's on the kind of tail end of his career playing out the string a little bit. So I love that prop. I, I think that that's a good one. Another one is a live dog. There's a guy from, uh, from my home state of Colorado named Brandon Royville. There's never, there's never been a Colorado born, um, champion from in the UFC. He gets his chance in this, uh, this rematch with, uh, with Alejandro Pantoja whom he lost to before, but I think Royva, I think he's something like plus 150. I don't know if you have the line right there. It's like, it's in that range. Yeah. It's, it's a good value. And I think that he's t- fine-tuned his game to just tone it back a little bit, wait for his chance, his opportunities better, and then take advantage. I think that he's, it's kind of like the Justin Gaethje thing. Like he used a little bit of a berserker. Now he's a little bit more calculated and he's been looking really good. So I feel like he's a, a very, very live dog, man. Yeah, plus one fifty eight right now. So you, there you can go. get that number, uh, even yeah. better value than we than we even thought. So you love to see that. I love those prop bets that you have for this weekend. It's going to be a fun weekend in Las Vegas. We'll all be watching. Shout out to Colorado, the home state. Uh, we yeah, we would love to see some uh, some good things happen there. Chuck, where can we find all your amazing work so we can get you out of here and uh, and keep people up to speed on what's happening in the UFC? 
Tate, tell them to stop kicking Jokic out of the games and we'll be okay in the 303. We're going to be fine, just <laughs> uh, fine out there. Got to yeah, keep I mean, on, Serb- on Serbian heritage tonight, too. I, mean, I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> Dude, that, was ups- that was upsetting. Uh, you can find my work, man. We do the Ringer MMA show uh, once a week. It's usually on uh, Thursdays prior to a fight, sometimes a little earlier if it's a pay-per-view. And we, after every big fight, including UFC pay-per-views, we do a post-fight show directly after, and it runs uh, a couple hours usually after after the event. So... Yep, we're always doing that, and I do some writing for The Ringer as well. So uh, we have our rankings, our new pound-for-pound rankings coming out this coming week. I love it. Thanks so much, Chuck. We appreciate you coming on the show. We'll have you back as uh, we continue to watch the UFC and digest and eat all these punches that we're watching on TV. Uh, Appreciate everybody tuning in. We will be back on Tuesday with Cousin Sal. We'll see you then.